This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him in their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for all those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Well, I hope that you're doing well as we are now in week 10 of, uh, of life no longer being normal. Some people are coming out of quarantine now, and uh, the, the economy in certain states is beginning to open back up. But there is still a lot of things that are not normal, and it's going to take a while for those things to get back to normal. And this is our opportunity to really look at the world and look at the way we have been living up till now and ask the hard question and continue to ask the hard question, am I willing and is it healthy for me to return to the normal that I had before? This is a a difficult question because it means uh, not romanticizing the way our lives were, but looking honestly and saying, um, really, my habits and behaviors and interactions that I had before everything shut down, are these really the things that I need to be rushing back into? Or is there some uh, sea change that has occurred in the midst of this that I can start now and and um, kind of chart a new course and take a new path on from this place? Certainly not to stay in this abnormal place, but to take this opportunity to shift gears out of our former way of being and into a new way of being. Uh, This is very similar to what the apostles went through, the disciples went through at the Ascension, right? Uh, We're celebrating tomorrow in the United States. We're celebrating the solemnity of the Ascension. This is Jesus Christ was crucified. He, He died. He was buried. He for three days was in the tomb. He rose from the dead and then for 40 days appeared to his disciples. Uh, and not just the 12, to a number of disciples who were the eyewitnesses. So here you have 40 days where Christ is risen from the dead, interacting with people, getting witnesses, uh, t- testimony that it was true that he raised from the dead. And then on the 40th day, he ascended into heaven. He was taken up uh, from their sight as in a cloud. And here, the disciples had this life-changing experience. They had the, the trauma of the passion. They had the hiding out in the upper room and locking themselves in, and Christ appeared to them and breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, and interacted with them and walked with them And they were overjoyed because Christ was again with them. Things were back to normal, right? Well, they were back to normal, but he kept trying to warn them and to to let them know that this normal uh, that they had become used to in their relationship with him was not going to be a, a sustainable normal. There was a new normal that needed to come into existence. And so he, he gave them lots of warning about it. And then here he called them out to, uh, to the hill, to the Mount of Olives. And he said to them, All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. And just as he says that, as he says to them, I'm with you to the end of the age, he is taken up from their sight as in a cloud. Here, Christ is returning to glory to sit at the right hand of God the Father, the Almighty. And as he says, it's better that he goes away for us because if he goes, he will send the advocate, the Holy Spirit, to dwell within us. So here we have this defining moment where Jesus is saying, we're not going to return to the kind of relationship, the kind of um, interaction that we had before. I'm not going to be the, the person that you are continuing to follow from town to town to town in a tangible way. Our relationship is fundamentally changing because here now he's taken up from there. I, he promises, I'm going to be with you. Lo, I, behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age. And then he's taken up from their sight. And so now they have this realization the world is different now. So here as we're recognizing and celebrating the Feast of the Ascension into Heaven, you and I need to have that same thing with us. The world cannot return to the way it was before. For the disciples, their whole identity changed here at this moment. They went from being the disciples to being the apostles, the ones who are sent. Uh, and, and so here they had a fundamental shift in the way they viewed the world. We talked last week about how we don't know how to behave until we know who we are. We talked with Joe Heschmeyer about identity. And so now we are being told and with the, with the apostles that our identity is shifting. We who have been following after Jesus and listening to his wisdom and seeking to do what he said to do, whether that's helping serve a meal to the 5,000 whether that's going out and praying for people, whatever that is for the the disciples who are following Jesus, they are listening to his instruction and obeying it. But now he's saying, okay, we've done this long enough. I'm going to be with you to the end of the age, but I have all authority in heaven and earth. It's been given to me. I am the one in charge. I've got the power, right? All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In virtue of that, therefore, you go into all the world and make disciples, right? Now, he's, uh, he's establishing his authority, which he's done time and time again uh, by way of proof and not just by, by claiming it. Now he says, in light of that, now you go into all the world. We share this mission as the baptized. We have that same universal call to holiness where we are called into a life that is pleasing to God, but we also share in this call to go as missionary disciples, as disciples who learn, but who also go out and make other disciples. And th- this is a really scary thing for a lot of us Catholics to talk about evangelization or missionary anything. But it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be frightening because this is the thing that God called us to. It's kind of It kind of strikes that picture of uh, well, if I submit to God, if I do, if I, if I promise that I'll do whatever it is that he says, he's going to ask me to do something really difficult or really uncomfortable. And, and I don't want to do anything really difficult or really uncomfortable. So I'm not going to do, I'm not going to submit. I'm not going to even give the option. I'm just going to kind of pretend like it didn't happen. And this is not the life of a disciple. This is not the life of a person in deep 
relationship with Christ. The, the life of a disciple is one who wakes up and says, okay, Lord, what are we doing today? Uh, you know, honestly, I've, I've had a really great experience during this quarantine, and I know that sounds probably weird to say, uh, but I've been live streaming on Facebook, uh, morning prayer and Compline every day, almost every day. Um, and it's been a really great experience because of the nature of morning prayer and Compline. That first thing, eyes open in the morning saying, Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall proclaim your praise. Of saying, oh God, come to my assistance. Lord, make haste to help me. And to say at the very beginning of my day, God, I, I want to know that you're here. And I just want to bump up against you just a little bit so that I get accustomed to the fact that you're here, to the reminder that you are present so that throughout the day, I'm aware of your presence. Throughout the day, I can hear you speaking to me by bringing up, a, reminding me of a passage that I read this morning or uh, by getting my attention by a specific thing or person or uh, bringing someone to mind for me to pray for or giving me a, kind of that nudge of the Holy Spirit, hey, go buy them lunch. Whatever the case is, uh, I'm reminding myself first thing in the morning that God is present and re- allowing myself and attuning myself uh, to be aware of his, his voice and his guidance throughout the day. That's just been a fantastic experience. And then in the evening, to say at the end of the day, God, here was my day. All of the good and the bad and the stress and the frustration and the anger and the happiness and the joy and the celebration, all of it belongs to you. Help me tomorrow to be more aware of your presence than I was today. And this is the life of relationship, trusting in God's goodness that I can come up and and bump right up against him and know that whatever he asks me to do is going to be the thing that I find the most fulfillment in throughout the day. I want to invite you to join me and to be a part of that and to test it out, see what you think, and see if it makes a difference in your day. Just come over to social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls at 8 a.m. Central uh, for morning prayer and 11 p.m. Central for Compline. Let's go ahead and turn now to our interview for the day. Today, we are focusing on the Ascension, where Christ gave the Great Commission, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the day where the church was launched. It's not the birth of the church. The birth of the church is Pentecost, but this was the day where the mission was given, the day where the 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 trajectory was set and where the identity of the disciples changed to be missionary disciples, to be apostles. To explore that further, we're talking with uh, with a little bit of an expert on the topic. Uh, we're talking with Marcel Lejeune, who is the president and founder of Catholic Missionary Disciples. Uh, you can find them at catholicmissionarydisciples.com. Marcel, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be here. So, Marcel, you, um, you have a um a long history with this catholic missionary disciples uh, as a as, as an apostolate is fairly new but you spent uh, uh, quite a bit of time at the saint mary's center in college station mm-hmm. uh, which was the college uh, ministry for the catholic church at uh, 
Texas A&M University in College Station, Texas. And and that place is just thriving. And you had, what, two bishops come out of there and multiple yeah. vocations every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a massive operation. Um, and I was blessed to spend um, 11 years running the day-to-day operations of St. Mary's. Uh, learned a lot, messed up, and somehow God still used what we did and yeah, that place is humming along still. Um, they got a great staff over there. Um, and it, it's one of those places where uh, the people before me, the people while I was there, the people after me have helped create a culture of, of, of evangelization, of discipleship, of great love for the Lord, of prayer, of discernment, and of community. And I think those are the things that, in a large measure, we've missed in some ways in Catholicism in the 20th and 21st century. And so having those things there, it, you know, it just, it felt lively and a lot of fruit came out of there. Just a lot of fruit. Yeah. I think the, the, there's a couple of things that I want to address today. You've got this brand new book on Ascension Press uh, called, mm-hmm. um, called The Contagious Catholic, The Art of Practical Evangelization. And, and that's kind mm-hmm. of the launching point for our conversation today. But um, in addition to this, first of all, there is this recognition, and I've been following you on social media for some time. We're part of the same Forming Intentional Disciples Forum on Facebook. Uh, and in in the conversations and in the things that kind of drive your passion, what I have noticed is this um, this clarion call to reevaluate what we do in evangelization and not just take the status quo for it, because I think we often forget that what is status quo today is actually a very new place to be that you're not calling us really into someplace new, except that God's always doing a new thing. Rather, you're reminding us that there is a place where we Catholics are most at home historically and calling us to return to that place. Yeah, absolutely. I think that this, it's both a, it's a both and like a lot of things in the Catholic church, right? It's, it's tapping back into the universal, for instance, when I say universal, I'm talking about across time and space. Right. Uh, universal principles that inform how we're supposed to do the work of ministry, how we're supposed to evangelize, how we're supposed to live, how we're, you know, this, these are universal things. Mm-hmm. So we have to go back to those things that make sense, that work. Uh, but it's also, how do we apply those to today's world, which is very different than anything else we've ever experienced. So what the way in which we apply those principles needs to shift, needs to change. Mm-hmm. And, and this is what the church has always called us to. It's, it's been spoken of throughout the history of the churches, from the great saints and the church fathers and the popes. The magisterium of the church teaches us that we're supposed to enculturate our evangelization, enculturate our gospel. That doesn't mean we leave any of the truth behind, absolutely none. But how do we speak it to a world that doesn't even know what sin is today? How do we speak it to a world that doesn't believe they need to be saved from anything? How do we speak it to a world that doesn't want to listen to Catholicism because they think it's about a bunch of people who abuse those who are weak? And, and in some ways, we brought this understanding, false understanding, upon ourselves. So, so we as Catholics have to respond to that in a different way than we did generations ago. And what we did generations ago that may have worked may not work today. And we have to realize that while still tapping into those same things. Mm -hmm. And this is, I've heard this put this way before. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, 
Anyone who comes to the Father comes by me. He's giving us a framework. And that for different mm-hmm. times and different histories and different places, different cultures, uh, a different avenue is going to work. Maybe it's I am the way. Maybe there's a rule of life or a way of being or a way of finding uh, meaning in our life that we can find in Christ. Maybe there's a time in history, and this has certainly been the, uh, true in, in various ages, where the truth is very important. And so th- there's that aspect to look at. And then other times there's this sense of this need of an experience of life, uh, of fullness, of fulfillment. And so all three of these are true of Christ, and yet mm-hmm. at any given time, in any given place, uh, there may be one that has more effectiveness in, in translating that message. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's part of it, right? We, we're, what we're trying to do is be the intermediaries, in a sense, the translators of a message that is eternal and always true and good and beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. Of a person. We're trying to help people come to know and love and follow Jesus Christ and, and be members of his church. Um, that's what our, our mission is, right? But how we go about doing that doesn't, doesn't necessitate that we do exactly what somebody else did generations ago or or even centuries ago. In fact, that that stuff may not work for each particular person. And that's why it's more of an art form than a science. And I think that's what, um, I think we all get caught up a little bit in, well, just tell me what to do uh, and tell me how to do it. Um, And then I'll go and do those things. Tell me the ABC, step one, two, three, whatever it might be. Give me the golden bullet, the silver bullet. And I'm going to go out there and do that thing. Well, that's, that's not exactly how it works. I, we can give you the principles of evangelization. We can give you the truths the church has always taught, but how you apply them in your particular context, in your particular relationships, and is going to differ for each person, because this is relational more than it is anything else. It, it is, in, in the truest sense of the word, it is subjective, because it's dealing with the subject of another person and not necessarily yeah, with yeah. the object of knowledge. We're talking today with yeah. Marcel Lejeune. He's the president and founder of Catholic Missionary Disciples. Go take a look at him over at catholicmissionarydisciples.com. So here in this book, you've got a beautiful book called uh, The Contagious Catholic, The Art of Practical Evangel- Evangelization. Um, and uh, you start in absolutely the most perfect place. Because so often when we think of evangelization, as you were saying, we think of uh, of the uh, the tactics and the tricks and the... the um, the specific language or the, the, here's the argument that you use, here's the apologetic proof that you use. And you start saying, how is your relationship with Jesus? How is yeah. your interior life? Because mm-hmm. you can have, and we've seen this, we've all seen this online, you can have all the right answers and you can win the argument and lose the person. That there has to be a humility and an interior life uh, that is the, the character number one of the missionary. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And what, here's the thing is, you know, first of all, just a disclaimer, the title contagious Catholic. We came up with that well over a year ago before <laughs> COVID-19 or coronavirus was even something we all knew about. Um, and, and so you could either call it uh, providential that the name was <laughs> contagious Catholic for the book, or you can say that God is kind of, you know, doing this out of spite. Not, but yeah, the, you're, you're right in the sense that, you know, an interior life is where everything flows, right? And so we're only going to be as good as of an evangelist as we are in relationship to Jesus Christ. So in other words, 
we're the least important person in the dynamic of evangelization. And mm-hmm. let, let me let me go ahead and frame this up for you for just a second. Think of this in this way. If, if the, you are in a relationship with somebody who is far away from God, and you're trying to evangelize them for their own good, and God is a part of that, there's three people that are part of this dynamic. The other person, you, and God. Mm-hmm. The other person has free will. That free will we need to respect, just like Jesus did, always respected the free will of others. We need, we need to allow ourselves to be used by God, and we need to propose what is true and good and beautiful that the Church teaches us. But we're not the ones that are important. God's the only one who can move a heart. The other person has free will to choose yes or no to that grace that God can provide the other person. We're just the vessels and the instruments of God if we're open to that. So without, without the interior life, without the prayer, without that depth of relationship with Jesus Christ that we're supposed to have, we won't be the best instruments we possibly can. And so this is, this is a constant struggle because we're also all sinners, right? None of us are perfect. <laughs> so how do we open ourselves up to more depth with Jesus? And that's actually where our evangelization starts, because if we fall deeply in love with our God, if we want to serve Him, then the greatest gift we can give back to Him outside of our worship of Him uh, and outside of a holy life is to help bring other people to Him. Mm-hmm. because that's what he desires, every soul to be saved and to go to heaven. And when, when we catch that vision and that passion, we can't help but share Jesus with other people. And that's the organic way of evangelization, not some kind of, you know, I have to do this out of obligation, not because, you know, it's just um, a duty, but rather it's, it's a, because I love my God and I want to share him with other people. Well, and this this, I think, is the key to understanding the difference between uh, proselytization, which the, both Pope Francis and, and Pope Benedict and perhaps popes before him have decried, uh, and evangelization. That proselytization is perhaps our own effort, that we have a conquest mm-hmm. that we need to have, and we want to uh, win the argument and show people the truth, and, and through our efforts and our knowledge, we want to bring this to pass. And ev- yeah. evangelization always starts not with the argument, but with the interior relationship. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And this is, this is I think, uh, it not only starts there, but that, that's where everything else flows from, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it's everything that we do is, as evangelists, as, as somebody who is trying to share Jesus Christ in his Catholic Church with other people, that, all of that should flow from, from great love, great faith, and great hope. And, and those are the gifts that come from God alone, right? Those are the theological virtues. We cannot earn them. They are, they are truly graces. And so when we're open, when we open ourselves up in relationship to God, to those, to those gifts, we're going to flower. And, and one of the things that I've always tried to, to, to make sure is at the front of my own spiritual life, but also to help others, is this, that I think one of the missing pieces in a lot of people's spiritual life is is evangelization, because the two go hand in hand, right? Mm-hmm. If you love God, you will go out and evangelize. But on the other hand, if you love God and evangelize, then you're also going to love him more. And the reason why is because the two feed right into one another. So it's not just a one-way street, it's a two-way street. So here's the thing, if you want to, if you want to show God you love and evangelize, but if you evangelize, you're going to also have a deeper love of God. It, the two go hand in hand, and I think this is missing in a lot of Catholics' lives. Um, this, this, I, this, 
this fruitfulness mm-hmm. because we're called to this. And, and that fruitfulness that comes from evangelizing uh, helps strengthen our interior life. It helps us to, to grow in faith and hope and love. And, and that then is a reciprocal thing where the giving and the receiving is kind of mixed up. Uh, you don't see which one is which. Yeah. So one of the things we've been, this idea of starting with the interior life, uh, there came a point where you began to evangelize. Can you see uh, and maybe identify a specific uh, event or a specific prayer, a specific something that brought you to a place where you recognized the importance and gained the, the courage to begin evangelization? What was the, the precipitating event uh, that brought you into this idea of evangelization? Yeah, that's a great question. And I will tell you this, I, I, I have had several conversions to evangelize. And what I mean by that is the, a deeper understanding of the call to evangelize. And I'll tell you about the first one and then a secondary one. The first one came after my initial conversion as a, a young adult in college, where I was not going to church, had been you know, very far away from God for several years. And finally decided I, I wanted something different out of life. And so I went to a retreat, ended up going to confession, and in that confession was able to repent, uh, know that God loved me for the first time really in my life, and accept that love as my own. And then I, I gave it back to him, and I told Jesus, you know, I'm yours. I want to live my life for you. Uh, and I didn't even know what that looked like, but I knew I had to change some stuff. And so here's where, here's immediately after that retreat, the next day, I went and talked to all my drinking buddies who I was running around doing things that were not good. And I told each one of them, I can't do these things anymore. I still want to be friends with you, but I can't go out drinking. I can't go chasing girls. Um, my life has been given over to God. It's got to be different. That is simply evangelization right there. And I knew I had to share that because I had found the greatest gift. I found the pearl of great price, if mm-hmm. you will. And I was willing to sell everything to have it. Yeah, And so, so here was this idea. It was just a natural outflow of this beautiful thing, gift that I'd be given, which was the person of Jesus Christ. Now, from there, you know, of course, we sometimes fall into, some, uh, you know, our own habits. Mm-hmm. And I had fallen out of this natural way of sharing my faith until I started to really read what the church taught about evangelization. And it started to shake me. Yeah. You know, what I mean by that is, I found just how deep the call to evangelization was and that I wasn't doing it at least enough, you know, maybe once in a while when it was convenient or safe, but that it should be this continued natural outflow of my own lifestyle, not just a project. And that, that was even a deeper conversion for me, knowing that I had to change my lifestyle rather, and not just make it a project or a portion of my life. We're talking today with Marcel Lejeune, the president and founder of CatholicMissionaryDisciples.com and the author of the new book, The Contagious Catholic, The Art of Practical Evangelization, available now on Ascension Press. When we come back, we're going to get into some of those practical steps explore a little bit more deeply what it means for us to find our identity in the church, in Christ, as evangelists, as missionary disciples. Don't go anywhere. There is much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. And uh, today, part of the creed we're looking at is the ascension. I believe, right, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And part and parcel with that is the uh, the commission, the great commission that he gave to all of those who were witnesses. Uh, this is before the birth of the church. And he said, go into all the world and make disciples. Uh teaching them to obey all that I've commanded, for, well, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We're talking today about that Great Commission and the implications that has on our life, and we're exploring that topic with Marcel Lejeune, who is the president and founder of Catholic Missionary Disciples. Find their work over at catholicmissionarydisciples.com. Uh, right before the, the break there, Marcel, you were talking about um, really coming to this place of conversion in your own heart, recognizing the need for evangelization. And you, you talked mm-hmm. about it, the need for that to really be par- part of our identity. And that brought to my mind um, this statement from Evangelii Nuntiandi, which was by Pope Paul VI, an encyclical on evangelization. And in paragraph 14, he says, it is a task and mission, uh, this evangelization, the evangelization of all people, uh, he said, it's this task and mission which the vast and profound changes of present-day society make all the more urgent. Evangelization is, in fact, the grace and vocation proper to the Church, her deepest mm-hmm. identity. She exists in order to evangelize, that is to say, in order to preach and teach and be a channel of the gift of grace to reconcile sinners to God and to perpetuate Christ's sacrifice in the Mass. So this is what you're talking about, in some sense, is taking on for your own identity that which is already the deepest identity of the Church and of Christians throughout all time. Yes, absolutely. And here's the thing. I th- I think we're still ignorant in in large part in the Catholic Church that this is the the depth of our identity as Catholics, that we were made to be evangelists. Mm-hmm. We, we weren't, we weren't made. Now we were, our primary vocation is to be holy, right? To be saints. That's our primary vocation. Part and parcel of that is that holiness flows out of our own personal lives into our families, into our friends, into our community, into our parishes, into the places we work and live. And, and we help others also come and take part in that life, that, that life with Jesus Christ. And so, so here we have this identity rooted in the fact that we were missionary. We are all created to be missionary disciples. And this is what Pope Paul VI is talking about. Our deepest identity, the deepest identity of the Church, is to evangelize. And he says this is our vocation and our identity. Now, that's not just broad, you know, 2,000 years of of billions of Catholics. That's you. That's every person listening to this. You are called to be an evangelist and a fruitful one. Not exactly like the person next to you, though. Um, so you have to discover what are the gifts that God has given me? What are the relationships God has given me? What are the what are the the, the responsibilities and the avenues to share His gospel has God given me? And then we go out and share those with those people. This, and and this is what evangelization really is. It's taking on that identity. And this is, this is really interesting because a lot of times I'll hear, uh, well, this is my personality. I'm too shy. I don't, I'm not confident. I'm all of these things that they see as, as specific impediments to evangelization. But what you're saying, and, and I agree with, is 
that those specific parts of our personality, specifically those which God has given to us uh, and aren't necessarily vices, those parts of who we really are and our personality are actually tools that God has given us for the kind of evangelization that he wants us to participate in, which is not necessarily the picture that we have of what evangelization is writ large. Yeah, and sometimes it takes a little bit of a healing uh, and 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 relearning of what it means to be an evangelist. Okay, so, yeah, you think evangelists, some people are going to think of a Fulton Sheen on TV mm-hmm. or, you know, a Mother Teresa in the slums of Calcutta or door-to-door, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons or a street corner preacher or something like that, right? These are very public ways of evangelizing. And there's nothing wrong with going door-to-door or being on TV or working in the slums. There's nothing wrong with being a street corner preacher. But those are what I would call extraordinary ways of evangelizing. The ordinary way of evangelizing is understanding where somebody is, reaching out and initiating a relationship with them, asking them deep questions, assessing what their need is spiritually, and then trying to help them meet that need. Whether that's, I need to have an introduction to who Jesus Christ is, I need to have the good news proposed to me so that I can move in faith and repentance towards, towards a relationship with God. Maybe it's, I need to, you know, be baptized, or I'm already baptized and I'm Catholic, and I just need to have this, you know, taking hold of my own faith, or, or recommitment, if you will. Whatever it might be, that's, that's not some kind of big public proclamation in your face. You've got to be an extrovert got to have the speaking skill, know everything, have a master's in theology, work at the Catholic Church kind of evangelization. That's you. Mm-hmm. That's your own personality. And everybody's personality and, and everybody's gifts are different. And it doesn't mean what I do, you know, having a radio interview and, and, and easily answering a question that you might toss at me, Teal, is, is what the person listening should do. Right. right? So that's, 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 let's get rid of that misnomer and try to recapture, okay, well, okay, what can it look like then for the introvert. Well, it looks like maybe a one-on-one relationship rather than a group, right? Mm-hmm. It could be that we have a smaller circle of people, but more deeper influence. There's all kinds of things that we need to start to think about, but, but the Lord has made each person for a particular time in a particular place with particular gifts and, and wants those things to be used for the glory of his name and for the good of his people and the salvation of the world. That, so, that's what I'm sure of. So we have a, a, a particular culture that has, for the last couple of decades, pushed towards uh, compartmentalization of the entirety of our lives, right? So we have specialists yeah, yeah. for everything. Uh, this is part of why we have so much clericalism in the church, where we uh, there and there are offenders on both sides, both in the lay and in the clergy, saying, "Oh well, that's mm-hmm. that's the church's job. That's the job of the religious education person at the church, or the priest, or the bishop, or whomever." Uh, and so we, as as the lay faithful, in many ways have abdicated the role that is that is ours by virtue of our baptism, um, because just because there are some things different than priest and laity, we have kind of d- separated everything out and said, well, all these religious things belong to you, and then this is my little responsibility over here, uh, and in the area of secular life. So I think one of the things is this reintegration, which I think we're seeing a lot in this next generation. Of course, you've experienced this through uh, college ministry and working with younger people. There is a push uh, for to, to kind of localize creativity and to be more, you know, purchase more things local, purchase 
uh, more artisan kinds of things and pull it mm-hmm. away from the, the big conglomerate. Uh, and this, of course, we've seen this in, uh, in, in ways of services and, and purchasing, but we also see that as just a kind of general drive of the culture, getting back to the idea of, hey, local things and relationships all the way from the person next door to me all the way up to the people that I uh, do business with is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And here's the thing is this, this principle is part of Catholic Church's social teachings um, since the beginning, and that, it's called subsidiarity. Mm-hmm. And that, that subsidiarity means, for those who may not know the term, what it means is that the, the lower level and the smallest level organization or, or grouping of people that can handle an issue ought to be able to try to be able to be left to do that. So what's the basic cell of humanity? It's the family. Right. That's the smallest grouping of people. Therefore, the family needs to be left with authority that the family should naturally have. To be able to raise their children as they see fit, make decisions for you know, the moral guidance of those kids and, and that family, etc., uh, the state should not step in and tell the family, okay, you have to send them to this school, you have to do this, you have to do that, but it's the parent's right to do so. The, the higher level you go, the more it should just be safety net. Mm-hmm. And, it, and the same goes for the church, right? The church leaves open to a lot of interpretation certain things that are not doctrinal and necessary or revealed by Jesus Christ, right? So how do you implement your own evangelization is left to the individual, to the community. And, and here's the thing. The, the Pope and the Vatican, and even your diocese, should not tell you how to evangelize in your home, right. in your community, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, because they don't know the people like you do. They can give you the principles and other things, but they're not going to give you the, the nuts and bolts necessarily. Um, they can give you some training, don't get me wrong, right. um, on, on how to better you know, voice the gospel message, how to give your testimony, what kind of questions to ask, how to, how to assess that. That's fine. That's what I do in my book, right? I give you some of that. But when it comes to what does this person really need, that's a discernment that you have to make, and that's subsidiarity. It's left to you. The Church does not step in and say, do this. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the way it ought to be, because it, 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 it gives freedom to the fact that you were created and you have God present within your very soul. The sacraments have placed his very presence within you, and he wants to use you, not just the big church. Right. We're talking today with Marcel Lejeune from CatholicMissionaryDisciples.com. I want to circle back to something we talked about at the very beginning, and that's the need for Mm -hmm. an interior life and for humility in evangelization. And I want to bring it to this part of the conversation, because often when we're talking with our family, uh, and sometimes more our family than even perfect strangers, we have a lot of emotional investment in, in mm-hmm. that relationship. And sometimes uh, there is kind of a frenetic energy and, and a whole bunch of baggage that we bring in with us to these kinds of conversations, specifically if we're talking with someone who is either left the faith or, uh, in my case, as a convert whose family was never a part of the faith. Uh, uh, there's this sense of <clears throat> a, a desire to make things happen and to say the right thing and to pull off uh, a coup in some sense and and achieve this evangelistic opportunity. Um, One Mm -hmm. of the things that we see over and over with the saints is this call, first and foremost, to humility, the gateway to all the virtues. And so talk a little bit about, um, in this evangelistic opportunity, this relationship, how do we 
step back and relinquish and humbly relinquish to God the outcome of a situation when we are so tied up uh, with a desired outcome? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, and I tell you, this is something I've been uh, wrestling with personally for my, the entirety of my adult life because I know people um, ever since my conversion that I have hoped for conversion in their lives too, family, friends, and others um, who, who haven't had conversion to Jesus Christ and his church, who, who don't have a relationship with him, who are living lives you know, that are very far away from God. Knowing that, you know, knowing that, here's what I, I rest in, is that God wants it so much more than I do. Mm-hmm. That God's every desire, the, the very heart of God, desires that all are saved. And he is actively working to be able to do that thing that we want to happen, and that is to change a heart. But he respects the freedom of every human being so much that he would allow them to choose to not be with him. That's how much he loves free will and respects it. That he would allow them to choose to not be with him for eternity rather than to go and force something upon them that they don't choose themselves. And so herein lies the crux of it. Humility says, well, I'm not in charge. God is. God wants it more than I do. And therefore, it's, it's very freeing and humbling to say, I can still desire this thing and give up control. Yeah. Because I'm not in control. God is in control, and the other person's free will is in control. The only thing I get to choose is what I do right now in the present moment. That's it. Mm-hmm. It's the only thing I get to choose. I can't choose the weather. I can't choose the end of the coronavirus. I can't choose you know, to be uh, super wealthy or famous, or I can't choose to control another human being, including my children. Um, <laughs> you know, all those things. And, you know, I, 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 this is one of the things I've come to realize, and it's become a, a a phrase I've repeated again and again is that um, I love my own free will and I hate everybody else's. Yeah. Um, and what I mean by that is if, you know, uh, pride says if only everybody else would do what I want them to, then the world would be a better place. When really that's not true. Humility says I relinquish control, God, you're in charge. And, and here it is. I want this. Will you make it happen? Because I know it's a desire of your heart, too. And if you can use me for this good purpose, then please do so. And, and so may I be humble enough to say yes to you in this moment if you allow me to do something for you. And I think that, that humility that we're looking at right now, that is the key between um, the kind of evangelization that we look at and shudder at uh, in other people and the kind of evangelization that is uh, attractive to all people right? Uh, when we can, with mm-hmm. humility, look at someone and say, you know, here's what I think, and I would love for you to be a part of this, but then also not to push uh, in a way that is unhealthy. Uh, that's what makes the difference and what will, I think, eventually bring the culture back around to a place where it looks uh, at Christ with eyes of, um, uh, the, the drawn to Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so this is where we have to pivot, I think, as Catholics towards towards allowing God to take control of all. Mm-hmm. Um, even in this time of pandemic, right? Even in this time of isolation from others and, and not getting our way, I think God's actively trying to change uh, not only the Church Universal, which I think is going to happen, right? But He's trying to get our attention individually. Yeah. Um, 
And so here's, here's the question we have to stop and ask ourselves is what does God want right now in this moment of me? How does he want to affect and change and impact my heart right now? And then when you get the answer to that, just say yes to it yourself. Um, and I know for me, that's been my prayer. And boy, I tell you what, it's been, it's been pretty, pretty intense. Yeah. We're talking today with Marcel Lejeune, president and founder of Catholic Missionary Disciples. Go take a look at catholicmissionarydisciples.com and pick up the new book, The Contagious Catholic, The Art of Practical Evangelization, available right now on Ascension Press. Thank you, Marcel, for being with us today. All right. God bless. If you missed any part of this conversation or you want to share it with your friends, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Not only that, but we have an extra unbroadcast segment available to all those who support the show through Patreon. If you want to join their numbers for as little as $5 a month, go over to OutsideTheWalls.com. Click the Patreon link in the top right-hand corner and follow the directions. Let's go ahead and turn our attention to our reading from Scripture and Church History. That's the sound of our Verbum Library opening up, and we're turning now to the book of Acts, chapter 1, where we hear this. In the first book, Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus did and taught, until the day he was taken up, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them by many proofs after he had suffered, appearing to them during forty days, and speaking about the kingdom of God. While meeting with them, he enjoined them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, about which you have heard me speak. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. When they had gathered together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He answered them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has established by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him from their sight. While they were looking intently at the sky as he was going, suddenly two men dressed in white garments stood beside them. They said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing there looking at the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will return in the same way as you have seen him going into heaven. That reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 1. And one of the most important things here is to realize that the book of Acts is a continuation. It is part two of the book of Luke. Luke wrote both of these books, and um, some people say that the reason it's two books instead of one, uh, at least this is how it was relayed to me, the reason it's two books instead of one is because they ran out of scroll, right? There's only so much that you can put on a scroll, and scroll is expensive. Uh, and so you you make the most of it as you can, but eventually you have to start a new scroll. So that's what has been relayed to me, happened here with, with Luke. And it's interesting where he splits the book between the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. Here, the, that again, that introduction— in the first book, Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus did and taught until the day he was taken up. So here we have the separation of everything that happened before the ascension, everything that Jesus did and taught before the ascension, and now everything that Jesus did and taught through his body, the church, after the ascension. The ascension 
is that point of separation for, for Luke, for the evangelist, of saying, here's what happened before, and now, in light of that, here's everything that happened after. That's why I was saying at the beginning of the show that this really is the launching point for the church, even though it's not yet Pentecost. And Luke the Evangelist would agree that this is a central hinge point in the way that we understand the action of Christ in the world, that Christ is still active in the world. His body is still here. It is just here mystically through the church. And, And so to begin to look at it in that light and to say, what is Jesus doing and teaching today? How is Jesus active in the world? And to realize that we have a part in that, uh, that as the church and as members of the church, we have roles and responsibilities to, uh, to go out and proclaim the gospel, the good news of the coming of Jesus Christ and, and the implications thereof. And then the second thing I wanted to point out, that's what the first one was at the very beginning. This is at the very end of the passage, uh, is that they're, they're standing there kind of dumbfounded and, and gazing into the sky and two, two angels show up beside them and say, all right, get to work, guys. Let's keep move along. Keep on going. It's time to go. <laughs> Why are you staring into heaven? He gave you the mission. You can't just keep staring right now. You got to actually go and do and so for us, I, I want to start there at the beginning and say, we are still, as the mystical body of Christ in the church, doing and teaching. This is the second half of Jesus' earthly ministry, and, and we are uh, part of it and responsible for it. And then the second thing is, by virtue of that, don't stand around. It's time to get moving. Don't just stare at the sky. Yes, we we commune with God. We we take the opportunity to go and sit in adoration and sit in silence and meditate, but we also do the work. We go out and we, we make a difference both spiritually and socially. Uh, that's our, that's our mission. That is our identity as Catholics. So now let's go ahead and turn uh, to our reading from church history, which comes from a sermon by St. Leo the Great. On Easter, beloved brethren, it was the Lord's resurrection which was the cause of our joy. Our present rejoicing is on account of his ascension into heaven. With all due solemnity, we are commemorating that day on which our poor human nature was carried up in Christ above all the hosts of heaven, above all the ranks of angels, beyond the highest heavenly powers to the very throne of God the Father." It is upon this ordered structure of divine acts that we have been firmly established so that the grace of God may show itself still more marvelous when, in spite of the withdrawal from men's sight of everything that is rightly felt to command their reverence, faith does not fail, hope is not shaken, charity does not grow cold. For such is the power of great minds— Such is the light of truly believing souls that they put unhesitating faith in what is not seen with the bodily eye. They fix their desires on what is beyond sight. Such fidelity could never be born in our hearts, nor could anyone be justified by faith if our salvation lay only in what was visible. And so, our Redeemer's visible presence has passed into the sacraments. 
Our faith is nobler and stronger because sight has been replaced by a doctrine whose authority is accepted by believing hearts, enlightened from on high. This faith was increased by the Lord's ascension and strengthened by the gift of the Spirit. It would remain unshaken by fetters and imprisonment, exile and hunger, fire and ravening beasts, and the most refined tortures ever devised by brutal persecutors. Throughout the world, women, no less than men, tender girls as well as boys, have given their life's blood in the struggle for this faith. It is a faith that has driven out devils, healed the sick, and raised the dead. Even the blessed apostles, though they had been strengthened by so many miracles and instructed by so much teaching, took fright at the cruel suffering of the Lord's passion and could not accept his resurrection without hesitation. Yet they made such progress through his ascension that they now found joy in what had terrified them before. They were able to fix their minds on Christ's divinity as he sat at the right hand of his Father, since what was presented to their bodily eyes no longer hindered them from turning all their attention to the realization that he had not left his Father when he came down to earth, nor had he abandoned his disciples when he ascended into heaven. The truth is that the Son of Man was revealed as Son of God in a more perfect and transcendent way once he had entered into his Father's glory. He now began to be indescribably more present in his divinity to those from whom he was further removed in his humanity. A more mature faith enabled their minds to stretch upward to the Son in his equality with the Father. It no longer needed contact with Christ's tangible body, in which, as a man, he is inferior to the Father. For while his glorified body retained the same nature, the faith of those who believed in him was now summoned to heights where, as the Father's equal, the only begotten Son is reached not only by physical handling, but by spiritual discernment. That reading comes from a a, a homily, a sermon by St. Leo the Great. And here we circle back around to what we first talked about at the beginning of our interview, that the importance of the interior life, of the relationship uh, to Christ before we begin evangelization. That evangelization is not something that comes from our knowledge. It's something that is born out of relationship. First, our relationship with God, and then our relationship with those who are around us. And so this is essential that we turn our attention and to realize our connection and our communion and our closeness with Christ Jesus, who calls us first to be holy, first to be in relationship with him. Then, after that relationship is matured and developed, then to go out and do all the world and to make disciples. So let us, as we celebrate the ascension, rejoice in the fact that we have been called to holiness, to relationship, and to go out into all the world. That's all the time we have for the show today. Today's show is brought to you by Brandy Carey and Carrie Carlson and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link, and join their number. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace.